0: I remember the uh, crisp air that morning. It, it was almost minty, even though I know that's not really a thing, but it was that fresh. Uh, as I stepped out onto my, my back deck one uh, morning, no one else was going to be up for at least at least another hour. At that point, the evening sounds had subsided. The sun had begun to stretch from its slumber. So I walked out, and I, and I had my fresh coffee, uh, my Bible, and I took a seat uh, had crocs on my feet as well, too, because that's just you know the way we do it. And I sat there for probably a good hour. And and what happened might be kind of surprising to you because what happened in that moment I distinctly remember is nothing. Like absolutely nothing. Nothing. I remember sitting there with my Bible and just kind of flipping through pages, kind of aimlessly hoping to hear from God. I I spent some time in, we could call it prayer. I don't know if it actually was or wasn't. And you see, I was in this season of being extraordinarily frustrated. I was frustrated in, in where my faith was. I was frustrated with God. I was frustrated with just a lot of things going on in life. And maybe you've been there before because in that moment when I felt like I I I was on on a hamster wheel and I was putting in work, I was putting in effort, I was putting in time, except I didn't want to. I didn't want to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Uh, The the carrots that were once enticing weren't any longer. You ever been there before? That, that, That when you feel that frustration and that friction anywhere in life, but especially in faith, it often seems very futile. Does it not? So begin to to kind of wrestle with God in that moment. Why am I here? What is this this all about? Why do I feel this way? Am I just going through the motions because I have to, because I'm a pastor? It's what I get paid to do, and if not, people are going to find out I'm a fraud, and then I'm going to lose my job. I don't know. Remember just sitting there just being for, for literally like 60 straight minutes just kind of staring that once was there is no longer. That's the question. How do you keep moving forward when you don't feel like it? But deep down you know you, you ought to. How do you keep fighting when you feel like you've thrown the last punch and you keep showing up when that energy level and tank seems low. How do you keep taking a next step even though the path might not seem clear? I began to think about that. How is it that a couple thousand years ago, a particular man doing all that he can to be faithful to Jesus, to live out a mission? faced more hardship and trial and unfulfilled plans, was able to put one foot in front of the other, day after day, week after week, mission trip after mission trip, church after church. How was it that over? Perhaps the entire course of the human faith, the Apostle Paul was able to persevere. I'm sure he was frustrated at times. I'm sure he felt that, that friction between him and other people, maybe some friction between him and God, yet he kept showing up. And I want to know why. And I would guess you would want to know why too. And if that's you... Welcome to week 14 of True North. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning. That's going to be our main text for today. You can join us there. If you have a Bible, please bring a Bible. Bring something to write with. We encourage you to take notes in your Bible. We encourage you to take sermon notes as well. You can get those uh, from the stations as you check in. Before we dive into today's text, number one, I just want to say, man, I love this church so much. Do you guys love being a part of this church family? It's one of the best. Um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I think one of the coolest things is like, so like a couple weeks uh, earlier this summer, right, just going back on the driving the mission, our missionaries came. They're like, hey, uh, we've got some needs. Can you help us meet them? And we were like, I don't know. And I was like, I don't know. We'll try. Like, I'll see you. I'll I'll pitch it to the, to the fam and see what they think. And I was like, guys, we need like $7,000. Like, I don't know money's tight. Inflation's a real thing. Can, can we scrounge up some pennies to give uh, to push mission forward? And you guys are like, no, 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 no. no. How about twelve thousand dollars? That's absolutely just mind blowing to me. So thank you for your faith and generosity. Uh, and we believe life giving generosity is fun. It is contagious. And so if you haven't had the opportunity to join in that driving the mission today is your last chance. Would highly, highly encourage you to listen for the Spirit to help us. I'd love to say we didn't raise seven thousand. We doubled it. Came away with fourteen because God is good, is He not? We titled this series "A uh, True North uh, as we go through 1 Corinthians because we believe that the word of God is a true north in our life. That when you feel kind of directionless, when you feel a little hopeless, when the, your context, your culture, your actions need to find a middle ground to come together to be faithful to Jesus, we need something to put us on that path. And we believe that scripture serves as that true north, but specifically we've been saying, First Corinthians kind of recognizes that, that sometimes as church people, that sometimes as Christians in a culture gone AWOL, we have to make some tough decisions or things we need to shift about us. And so Paul begins to write. And chapter 8 kind of starts this section, chapters 8, 9, and 10, uh, saying that true north oftentimes comes with freedom. It comes with liberty by grace through faith. You've been saved. You've been redeemed into the name of Jesus. However, we need to steward those freedoms, those liberties wisely. And so we're picking up today 1 Corinthians Chapter 9, starting in verse 19, follow along with me. Apostle Paul says this. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. If you have a Bible, circle, underline that phrase, win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I am myself not under the law, so as to win those under the law. So to those not having the law, I became like one who does not have the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am free under Christ's law. So to win those who have no law, to the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessing. It's kind of an odd passage. Here Paul kind of refers to himself kind of being like a little chameleon says, to these people, I look like this. To these people over here, I kind of meet them. To these people over here. And some of us, we might hear this passage, or if we heard somebody talking about that on a stage or in a blog post or on Instagram, we'd be like, yo, 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 hold up. Sounds like what they're saying is they're watering down the gospel message. That they're tickling some ears trying to give people what they want to hear to maybe win some. But the truth of the matter is, Paul's actually saying the opposite. He's like, I'm not actually changing the message. I am just changing my methods. That depending on who I am with and who I am around, I am trying to become, in a way, uh, to build a bridge so that they might hear Jesus. And we get to this passage, and we begin to wrestle with this passage and say, okay, what does that mean? What does that look like? Does that mean I put on a, a mask around some people? Do I pretend to be somebody and not where does it go? And I think that's oftentimes the wrong question. Because when we take this text in its context, in its entirety of chapters 8, 9, and 10, I don't think the emphasis is on the method. The emphasis is still on the message. And Paul said there in verse 19, at the end of verse 23 as well, I do this because this is the win that I have defined. This is the goal. This is my prize in life. Paul's clear win in his life, he is saying, is to win as many as people as possible. His ministry, his trips, his time, his direction, his finances, even his career is built on that win, to win as many people as possible. And I ran headlong into this text this week, and this was my thought. My thought was purely this. Does that describe me? Does that describe me in my faith, in my pursuit of Jesus? He's, he's, Paul's describing this ferocious dedication to his faith and living out this spiritual calling. He's pushing against anything that might hold him back. And I begin to think, do I myself have that type of clarity for my life? Can I clearly say, this is what my life is about. This is my purpose. This is my mission. This is my win. To win as many people as possible. Do I get relentless in that pursuit? Or do I get passive towards it? Do I get distracted? Do I begin to value things that are good things a little bit more than I do Jesus' mission in my life? And I think my heart and my faith, and maybe yours too, doesn't drift towards being somebody on mission. Doesn't drift naturally towards somebody who is relentless in the pursuit of what God has placed before. Instead, where I tend to drift is towards passivity. And Paul doesn't explicitly say it, but I think he's getting to this point to say, I have rejected anything that holds me back from accomplishing that win. Pushing against passivity. This is my first point for this morning, and it's kind of in the text, kind of not, but it's that passivity is poisonous. Think about passivity in in life. It it, it creates like a poison within you. Now, anybody in here ever been poisoned before? Oh, a couple of you actually, and you live to tell the tale. That's impressive, right? I've never been poisoned before. Uh, What I see on like shows and movies is that poison is silent, right? It's subtle, it takes a little bit of time, but before you know it, the poison has sucked your life away. What passivity is, the reason why I'm saying it's poison is because it means you are without action. You are not actively moving forward in the direction you want to be. Now, whether that's your health, your job, your relationships, your family, your finances, but even and specifically in our faith, passivity is poison. See, Paul said there, he says, I'm choosing to pursue the prize. I'm choosing to not be passive in my faith because too much is at stake. And when Eric looks at Eric's life, when Eric looks at this text, Eric says, yeah, that's not quite, uh, if I were to put those next to each other, they're not running at the same speed in the same rate because I, just personally for me, I get caught in what, the, what I call this passivity cycle. Now, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a doctor of any sort. Um, so I don't know if this is like clinically true. There might be studies, whatever. So if you want to tune me out, go ahead. Uh, you can pray about it later and we can go from there. But here's the thing. When we start out about this passivity cycle is we, we get caught in being passive, could be a variety of things. We get passive in our faith. We get passive with people. But then that passiveness leads us to what I would call being unfulfilled. Fulfilled? I think that's good. And when you're unfulfilled in life, you have a lot of different ways that that can come out. You might feel weak. You might feel slow. You might feel Hopeless. You might feel helpless. When we feel unfulfilled in life, maybe food doesn't taste the way it ought to. We miss out on things that have been placed before us because we're not really sure if we're on the right track. So when we're passive, we become unfulfilled. But then that unfulfillment, though, becomes discouragement. Mint, discouragement. And that discouragement looks a bunch of different ways. Maybe it looks like disapproval in our own life. Maybe we get discouraged because we begin to feel feel shame. I have this sin that I so easily I want to get rid of, but I feel unfulfilled in achieving it, so therefore now I feel shame, and that shame causes me to be more passive about it. Or, Or sometimes that disapproval comes across as disgust. We get disgusted with ourselves. We get disgusted at other people. Sometimes maybe that, that, that disapproval comes across in anger. We get angry at ourselves or we take it out on other people because we're not fulfilling life the way that we see fit. Maybe the, the, it becomes frustration Maybe we get lazier. Sometimes I think people, they get caught in discouragement. They become blaming others, and they, they blame other people for their problems. They blame their spouse for the reason they're not. For. They blame their kids for sucking away all their time and money. Some people go as far to blame the church. The church is the problem that I'm not fulfilled spiritually. It's a you problem, you fix it. If you did things my way, then I would be in a different place. We get stuck, and we get discouraged, and we begin to point fingers. And we get stuck in this cycle where well, we're passive, we're unfulfilled. It leaves us to back places, thoughts, and minds, and seasons, and moments, and then it makes us pass, and we get over, and over, and over, and Paul, I believe, kind of gives us the way to break out of the passivity, which is to say, know your win, because if you don't have a win for life, if you don't have a why for your faith, you will become passive, because those carrots that dangle in front of you, the reason you got onto that hamster wheel in the first place, if that is not defined, if that is not clear, if that is not motivating, how do you move forward? I think that's what Paul is trying to, like how does a guy who's shipwrecked several times, he gets being within an inch of his life, multiple seasons, he goes, he gets bit by a snake, he goes all these places, nothing ever goes to plan, and yet here he is, rejoice always. I consider everything a loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. I have a win to win as many people as possible. You see, passivity, what it is, it's refusing to fight, to run, to pursue what matters most in life. And if you're here this morning and you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, Christian, look at me. Satan loves a passive believer. He doesn't want to get you to maybe recount your faith. He doesn't want you to get it, to doubt it all together. He knows that if I can just get you passive in your pursuit of Jesus, then I've won the fight. And Paul says, so in order to punch passivity in the face, knock it out, right? You have to pursue that prize. You have to fight to win. You have to run the race just to not not lose. Look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter uh, 3. Now, 11 out of Paul's 13 letters, he mentions something along the lines of staying fixated on a prize or a goal. But this is what he says to the church in Philippi. He says, brothers and sisters... I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, the prize to win as many people as possible. But one thing I do is I forget what is behind and I strain towards what is ahead. And he says, I press on. Your your translation might say, I pursue the prize. It's a word that means to, literally, it's a hunting term. I hunt down the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says, my goal is clear, my why, my win is there, to win as many people as possible. That's what I'm on this earth to do. And he says, so so it doesn't matter what's behind me. It doesn't matter where I came from. It doesn't matter what I'm feeling. I know what I'm here to do. And I think a lot of us, we step into faith and we just say, Jesus, thanks for the grace. Thanks for the new life. I hope you make something. That'd be cool if you did something with my life. I May mean, not be pretty neat if you used me to maybe win some people. It might be pretty cool to, to see me be somebody who be a disciple who makes a disciple, but I don't know. It's up to you. We'll see what happens. You see, I think a lot of us get content that, that, that when all is said and done, and we step into heaven, there's a massive gap between when God says, Welcome, and well done, good and faithful servant. Some of us are gonna enter heaven and, and God's gonna say, Welcome you believe that you were a sinner, you were saved by grace, welcome. But that doesn't mean you're going to hear those beautiful, beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's why you need that win. You need that prize. See, I think so many of us feel spiritually weak. or spiritually unfulfilled at times. It's because we're We're passive in our faith. We haven't redefined what it means to win in this life. We're still defining win and purpose and value based on our old flesh, our square footage, our 401ks. And Paul says, I've forgotten all of that because I have a new mission. I have a new purpose. I have a new prize. And for that prize, I press on. So, if you feel dead spiritually, if you feel like maybe perhaps you lack fruit, maybe you're here today and you might say to yourself, man, I'm just not as on fire or vibrant as I once was. Men in the room, look at me. Husbands in the room, look at me. Fathers in the room, look at me. You feel lackluster in your faith? You feel like you need purpose in this life? You want something more than just pushing a pencil to put food on the table, which is a great thing. Could it be you're approaching your faith with a meh mentality? Could it be that you're just taking week after week that you show up here or you show up to your group or whatever it is to appease your other half? If you want to have meaning and purpose in this life, Paul says you got to have something bigger and greater than yourself, and it has to be from Jesus. And so whether you're, 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 you're a husband, whether you're a father, whether you're single, but dudes, like, like literally, like you want your life to mean something, do you not? I know, ladies, you do too, but I'm talking to dudes right now, okay? Like you want your life, like when I sit down and I talk with men over coffee or lunch, like, what's going on in your life? And it's always the same thing. What's going on? I don't know, man. I just don't really know what I'm doing. I'm making money. I'm doing my job. Da da. And then I ask one question. What's Jesus been teaching you? It's the same answer over and over again. Uh, oh, I don't know. I don't have time for that. I haven't been in my Bible for a long time. I just feel like I'm going through the motions. I'm like, duh, no duh, duh. And if you can't see the prize of what it means to be a man of God. To pursue him, to love the word, to pray fervently for your community and your family, and you're gonna. If you want something to dedicate your life to, dedicate it to pursuing the prize that Jesus has said, "This is what this looks like. This is what a life fulfilled means." Look what Paul says. He continues in verse twenty-four. He says, now that I have my wind defined, let me tell you how I chase after it. Let me tell you how I pursue it. Let me tell you how I hunt it down and I get it in my crosshairs to make sure I don't lose sight of it. He says in verse 24, he says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, to which God's people said, no duh. But only one gets the prize, says Ricky Bobby. Run in such a way, run in such a way to get that prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like somebody running aimlessly, which sounds like a bad idea because if you get lost, then you got to run even further to get back. And I do not fight like a boxer just beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul says once the work or the win is defined, the work begins. I get the win in my crosshairs, then I train. I discipline myself. I build habits. I develop a plan. I don't take it lightly. I don't go about it aimlessly or passively. I form a plan and I stick to it. He says, in the same way that you cannot win a race, in the same way that you cannot go 10 rounds in a ring without training, why would you think you could take that approach to the most important thing that Jesus has given you in this life? Like, I'm a big sports movie guy. Love sports movies. Uh, Probably second to like heist movies. I don't know, movies where people are just like robbing people. It's just super fun for me. Pray for my soul. I love sports movies, right? In every sports movie, it's the same exact script. I'm pretty sure they all get into a room and they say, okay, we did football last year. Let's do baseball this year. Great. Okay, then let's do hockey. Uh, okay, let's give the rugby nerds a, you know, a little time, but you know, we'll get back to the real sports later type of deal. And uh, so they kind of go through these cycles. The, In sports movies, they're all the same, right? Team comes together with insurmountable odds. Coach steps up to the plate or steps up to the room and says, we believe in ourselves, nobody else does, so here's what's going to happen. And then you know what the movie doesn't do? It doesn't skip to the end. It doesn't skip to them getting the medals. Or it doesn't skip to the trophy. You have those, like, iconic montages of the training, right? And those are my favorite parts of the movie. So we're going to do a quiz this morning. Some of the most iconic montages of training movies. I'm going to show you a picture. And if you know what movie it's from, shout it out, okay? So this is, men, this is your chance to shine, okay? Here we go. Number one. Which one, though? Some people pause. Like, I don't know. How many are there? Here's the next one. Might be a little bit more difficult. Oh, yeah, there we go. Who said chariots of fire? Mad props. Jesus loves you extra this morning. All right? And here's the last one. Yeah. Wax on, wax off. Not that Jaden Smith garbage, right? Like, we're talking about the real stuff. Put him in a body bag, Johnny. Right? Okay. The reason those, those montages stick out in our mind, the reason you can hear the music from those is because we know deep down we cannot accomplish anything without putting in the work. Paul gives us, I think, two points here when we talk about how do we go about fulfilling and earning that prize. Number one is that races are public, but training is private. You're gonna to have to go run the race in front of a bunch of people, but nobody's gonna be there with you. Pounding the pavement. People are going to come and they're going to put the spotlights on you and you step into the ring. But nobody's going to be with you in that freezer punching the meat. And I think for a lot of us, we believe the lie that we can just play church. We can just play faith. We just show up. We know what to say. We know how to smile. We know the answers to give, that we can give the flash, make it appear like we've done the work without actually having done it. After I graduated college, I coached AAU basketball for two summers. And I had this group of kids that were um, kind of like me. They were short and white. So we had to press the whole time and just chuck threes all the time. It was the only way we could win games. And we got pretty good at it. And I remember the first tournament we went to, we went to this team, it was a 50-team tournament in East Tennessee. And we walked into the gym. And these, uh, my team, like, they were intimidated. The East Tennessee Lightning. It's was like, OK, whatever. They were intimidated because they saw the first team and they rolled up and they had matching uh, bags and they had like four color options for their jerseys and whatnot, and they're like, their eyes are big. Like, Coach Eric, how are we going to beat this team? I said, this ain't the team you need to worry about. Well, who should we be worried about? And I said, you see those guys in the corner? And they turned and they looked into the corner and they saw a bunch of guys who had literally basic jerseys with numbers taped on. I said, those are the guys you need to be scared of. Because those are dogs. And sure enough, we played the fancy uniform team and smacked the living daylights out of them. Beat them by 45. Fought our way, got to the championship game, and sure enough, we played the guys with duct tape for numbers on their jerseys. And we got blown out (laughs) by like 50. Flash is one thing. You can fake your way through faith but only you know if you're putting in the work. You can fool your wife, you can fool your kids, you can fool your church, your group, your co you can fool anybody, but you can't fool yourself and you most certainly can't fool God. If you're in this faith thing just to keep up appearances, I am telling you right now, because I've been there before, that carrot ain't gonna last. You gotta remember, races are public, but training is private. Here's the second part. I believe Paul says, so then you need to ready yourself to be ready to win. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding on the promise for both the present life and the life to come. I think for, for many of us, discipline is a four-letter word. We hear that word, we kind of tense up, I don't like that. That sounds a little legalistic. That sounds a little little bit too much like work. But Paul says as a disciple, you define your win. And if your win is not Jesus, if your win is not obedience, if your win isn't to be a godly man, a godly woman, a godly spouse, a godly parent, a godly coworker, a godly neighbor, if it doesn't include submitting to the spirit and lifting up to the kingdom, you need to start over. So Paul, I'll go quickly through this. How do we approach then our spiritual training? Three quick things. I call this punching passivity in the face, but you can't say, you can't put punch on the screen. That's not ladylike or whatever, okay? Number one, spiritual training is you just show up. You show up on purpose with a plan. Paul says, run in such a way, go into strict training. This word strict means to become all-encompassing. That in order to be a winner, in order to be a leader, you must do regularly and consistently what others do occasionally or sporadically. My favorite basketball player of all time, Kobe Bryant, is known for what he called the 666 off-season. Six hours a day, six days a week, for six months a year. And he's on record of saying the off-season isn't the time to be off or relax, it's to prepare for the on-season. John Mayer, one of the greatest guitarists of all time. Didn't pick up the guitar until he was 13 years old. He watched Back to the Future, saw that Johnny B. Good scene, became infatuated with being a guitarist. He practiced for six to eight hours a day. Sometimes he'd get home from school, practice all through the night, and then go sleep at school. Kids, don't do that. But it was this dedication to show up over and over and over. So step one, are you showing up regularly with God? Are you getting into the word? Do you have a certain time, a certain place to read in a certain way? For me, it's I get up at 5.30, sometimes earlier, and I will go sit in that chair and I will read through that plan. Do you have that way in which you know you're gonna show up on purpose to pursue that prize? Number two is you need to shut down. Number one, you show up. Number two, you shut down. You need to shut down the distractions. Paul says, I don't run aimlessly. I'm not in this to just be a good shadow boxer to show people how quick my hands are. You see, many of us, I think, have a plan when it comes to our faith, but we become aimless in shutting down the distractions. You ever been here before? Hey, how's your spiritual life going? I just don't have enough time. Really? You don't have enough time? Yeah, I was just busy, work, kids, sports, Band, plays. My neighbor's lawn looks better than mine, so i got to keep up with his. Gosh, Rick, jeez, yeah, you know? You probably have a plan of what you need to do, and you're going to say, oh, I don't have time. The average study says that we spend five hours a day on our phones, three hours a day watching television. Think about how weird this is. We go to work, and we're on our phones thinking about stuff at home. Oh, I wish I could be with my, my family. Oh, i got to do that chore. Whatever. Then we get home, and we're on our phones thinking about work check in on the emails that we don't need to check in on. We spend hours scrolling and salivating over someone else's life across the country that we'll never meet while sitting in the room with people who are important to us because we haven't figured out how to shut down distractions. You see, a lot of us, we don't have a time problem. We have a distraction problem. We have a value issue that we don't lack in identifying what matters most to us. We struggle in eliminating what doesn't. That was good. I'm going to say that one again. We don't lack in identifying what matters most to us. We struggle in eliminating what doesn't. Next time you find yourself sitting at home, or you're out somewhere, think about what you don't eliminate and what it might cost you on the other end. Does binge watching TV cost you sleep, which then costs you the ability to get up in the morning to be with Jesus? The inability to minimize social media is it at the cost of constantly comparing yourself and feeling like a failure, uh, comparing their highlight reel to your real life. The inability to shut down email comes at the cost of spending time and attention where it matters most. The difference isn't going to be what we say yes to. The difference is going to be what we say no to. Number one, we show up. Number two, we shut down. Number three, we stay focused. We stay focused on the prize. Paul says, I will not disqualify myself. I go into strict training. I put in the time, the work, the energy in private when most people don't see it so that I can be ready when race day comes. So the question is, have you disqualified yourself? Not because you don't believe, not because there's doubts, not because you've given up on faith, but have you disqualified yourself because you don't train? Have you disqualified yourself because you don't desire discipline? Have you disqualified yourself because discipleship is not something you might be interested in? You choose not to submit yourself to the spirit. Instead, submit yourself to self. You see, Paul's secret sauce, and we would do well to mimic, wasn't like a, he had a, had, a, had a cheat code. It wasn't like left, right, left, right, down, up, down, up, A, B, A, B, start. And then all of a sudden, the heavens opened up and Jesus is like, yo, what up, Paul? He did regularly and consistently the things he knew in order to prepare himself to win the prize. Without the win, without the why, it's so much harder to train and to do the work that you know you need to do. So I'll close with this thought as we prepare for communion this morning. Do you want your faith to matter? Do you want it to mean something? Do you want to be able to look back on your life and God say, well done, good and faithful servant. And Paul says, show up. You shut down the distractions. You stay focused. But if you haven't defined the when, the why, the mission, the purpose, you're going to be chasing carrots that you'll never reach. And over time, those carrots are going to dry out. They're going to crack. They're going to get moldy. They're not going to be as enticing as they once were. So let me take you 18 months ago back onto that porch that morning. Deck, back deck. Front's the porch. Back's the deck. It's on the deck. And I'm sitting there sitting there sitting there god what do you want from me what do you want me to do because this whole going through the motions that ain't good enough for it this whole because the bible said so that's not the most enticing for you because pastor eric said i should that's not gonna get it done I remember sitting there on the back deck and praying, calling out to God, God, what is it? 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 And he said, John chapter 3, verse 30. And even though there was a, a verse 30 in John chapter 3, to be honest. And I turned there. He must increase. I must decrease. And that became my win for my faith. I don't know how long I'm gonna be alive. I don't know how long I'm gonna be able to preach. I don't know how long I'm gonna have with my kids, my wife, my friends, but the one thing that I want them to say when all is said and done about Eric Charles Friedman is he lived out that verse. So that means when I get up in the morning, I get up because I know if I am going to decrease, I have to humble myself to Jesus so that he can fill me up. I know that when when my kids are off track, I have to discipline them because I want them to know what it means to live a life worthy of following Jesus. So what is the win for you? Let me give you a few examples as we prepare for communion this morning. If I were to ask you, define your win, define your why of faith. Why are you even here this morning? And if it's just because what we do on Sunday morning, hey, thanks for coming, but I'm going to guess you want something bigger and better and deeper and more foundational and firm for your faith. It could be something like this. It could be, I want to be the person in my family who breaks generational habits and pains, and so I'm going to choose to live as a new creation in Jesus. That's going to get you up in the morning, is it not? I want the world to know and remember my love for Jesus that it just might win others too. That's gonna keep you moving forward. I can't believe Jesus would save a wretch like me. Why would I squander the chance of living my new life? That's gonna give you the strength to throw another punch. I will keep showing up because I know that when I follow my heart, I don't like the person I am. So I'm gonna pursue the heart of Jesus." That will push aside passivity every day of the week. We're gonna go into a time of communion. Three minutes are gonna come on the screen. Sometimes three minutes are enough. Oftentimes I feel like three minutes aren't. And In these three minutes, I wanna encourage you to, to wrestle with Jesus. Open yourself up to the Holy Spirit. Beg him, ask that question. God, what's my win? What's my prize that you've had for me in my life? And he might give it to you. He might not. You might need to get up every single day to determine that, to find it. But man, what would it look like to be a group of Christians? What would it be to be a church of disciples? Then everybody came up, why do you do this faith thing? Why do you go to church every Sunday? Why do you give 10% or more of your money back to the church? Why do you give up your time to serve kids that aren't even yours? They're going to get their jam hands on your jeans, and then they're going to be like, why do you do any of this? What if you could give them that why and that when What keeps you showing up day day after day after day after day after day? And hope seems lost when the energy is run out. You have a true north. And his name is Jesus. I'm going to pray and let you spend time worshiping and communion. Jesus, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you. I thank you for grace, God. I mean, I don't know how many of us, we get into faith, we get into this Christianity thing and we find ourselves drifted, and before we know we are so far away of where we want to be. Lord, I firmly believe that everybody on, in this room this morning, all the kids in the back, all the leaders, the volunteers, everybody watching online, whoever it is, that they want to grow spiritually, that they want to know you, that deep down you are tugging at their hearts, but we have to be willing to step in. But we cannot do that without knowing our why the wind that you have for us so we beg you we plead with you through the power of your spirit through the through the guidance of your word reveal that to us so that we may be fully devoted disciples who pursue the prize in the way that your son jesus pursued us soon let me pray amen